0: Other cases of voter fraud emerge in America. Dave Brat stops by today to talk about this week's report card, and we check on the status of his hair. Ali Beth Stuckey also sits down to talk about Romans 13 and the implications of Christians, and we settle it once and for all. All of this on the Falkirk Center podcast starting now. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Falkirk Center podcast. I am joined by Mick Dreamy Dean, Dave Bratt, here at the Liberty School of Business. Uh, He's to stop by.
1: Hey, Dave, how's the hair going? It looks pretty good. good. Salon opened up Friday, back in back in order. not awesome. Not looking like the Beatles anymore.
0: Okay, good. great. Well, that's good, right? So we can the mass hysteria. We can suspend yep. it. Hopefully, yep, safe. Dave, I'm concerned about the reopening and the implications. There's a lot of psych-outs. It's uh, some, I think some uh, Democratic governors are saying, yeah, we'll go along to get along because clearly uh, these orders, these stay-at-home orders are not Mm. being obeyed on the beaches up in New York and New Jersey and down in California. People are protesting. What's (laughs) happening with that right now?
1: Well, it's. I heard you tee up on Romans 13 and, uh, you know, do politicians lead or do they follow? There's a few good ones that lead, uh, but I think it's kind of the the case. The people are the sovereign. Right. And the representatives are not our bosses. Right. They work for us. Yeah. And they're here to represent our views. And so if the folks say I've had enough of this, Mm. uh, if you know, politicians better uh, pay attention. Mm-hmm. And so it looks to me like uh, people have had it, uh, they've run out of cash, the businesses are wiped out. Yeah. Uh, reality's hitting in on another front, right? At first it, it was right, everyone, you know, be cautious, be yeah. careful That's with the we virus. That's what right. But now it's yeah. be careful, be cautious for your family's uh, welfare, right? Right. Can I pay the bills for my kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, my, are the schools gonna open? If they don't open again, uh, Do I do daycare for a year? Right. So huge questions uh, in play Uh, that that are huge, and the uh, this uh, partisan thing. I don't think it's going to break too well for the D's uh, on the left. Mm -mm -mm. The uh, we've had a few elections here in the last couple days where a few counties. Yeah. uh, have made it clear it's it's time to open up yeah. in a safe way. Sure, but they, I think the people are voting with their feet. Well, a couple of things that are emerging right now. Uh, there's a case in, in in
0: Philadelphia. A former Philadelphia election official has a pled uh, pleaded guilty to taking thousands of dollars in bribes to stuff the ballot boxes for Democrats in local races between 2014 2016. Yep. Voter fraud is, is is something that is not new to politics. Yeah. We've always had voter fraud, but then there's also this emergence now with digital technology, right. ways maybe potentially to uh, manipulate the data, data, and it's election fraud. There's yeah. a difference between voter fraud and election fraud, yeah. voter fraud being voter identity at the ballot box, yeah. but then election fraud is that you might be able to potentially affect outcomes yeah. after the data has been recorded. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about that, because I think you're... You're in on a few things that are happening, a few cases that have come up. Yeah,
1: well, there's the the case you just mentioned, Nevada. People can go Google Nevada voting fraud. The Heritage Foundation has over 1,300 documented cases, right? So the left always says, there's nothing here, there's nothing here. Right. They'll, they'll say, you know, look at Florida and Broward County, nothing happened there. Right. Well, they don't mention what happened right next door. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so yeah. the, the way the press decides to handle it. And so it, it, a lot of times you can read an issue based on who's yelling for it. Mm -hmm. So, if uh, the House doesn't want to meet in Congress anymore, and Pelosi's off uh, making up $3 trillion budgets full of left-wing projects, Mm -hmm. and then she and Soros uh, and a few other characters come along and say, hey, I want to do this vote by mail, Mm -hmm. right? If it was a Democrat friend of mine, they say, hey, you know, I got a family case, I want to vote by mail. You go, oh, okay. Right. But but, uh, when you see Soros and Pelosi and the cast of characters all start rooting months ahead of time. Yeah. For a vote by mail. She tried it three times, correct? Oh, it's, it's amazing. Three different bills,
0: right. folks, uh, yep. where, in which uh, the Speaker was trying
1: for this and planning it into a bill. Yep. So yeah.
0: it, it, it And if, if you
1: go Google and just learn about this, just right. go Google the, the, the that vote by mail fraud, and mm-hmm. you'll see what's at stake. There, there's hundreds uh, and boxes full uh, that the, 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 the Postal Service folks will tell you about, right. laying in apartment buildings from people that have moved, yeah. and all you got to do is take it out, sign it, Mm -hmm. And the Democrats are pushing for a law where the signature verification doesn't happen. Right. So that's the giveaway, right? Why would you ever want to build a pass where you don't verify Mm -hmm. the signatures? And so there's too many giveaways, so you know something's up.
0: It's insane. I want to talk about this Wall Street Journal uh, headline as well about lawsuits so this yeah. is in this is in the opinion uh, section yeah yep. um, what is it I think you've got that on there yeah. I don't know uh, if you can pull it up yeah real sure quick. yeah we'll tell the folks uh,
1: lawsuits needn't block recovery by a couple uh, legal heavy hitters Michael Luddig and David Ribkin ribkins with a one of the biggest firms up in DC and uh, Luttig, uh is a Supreme Court uh, caliber Cavanaugh uh, material mm. up in that league so when you see these guys weigh in something's something big's coming.
0: So, so we think about, uh, company, let's, okay, let's take the state of uh, Virginia. Country yep. opens up, Virginia eventually yep. opens up. Okay. 725,000 small businesses roughly. It's going to be a lot less now, mm-hmm. but, uh, this was 2019 numbers, yep. uh, registered in the state of Virginia. You're a small uh, business owner. You own a little shop or yep. something. Maybe you're a shop, uh, on the boardwalk at Virginia beach yep. at a tourist destination. Someone stops by Buys a few things. Right. A few weeks later they've got the virus yep. and they're threatening now to sue you. So you you caused it, right? Yeah. So what's happening? There's a split, obviously yeah. divide between Republicans and Democrats on this issue, but yeah, what's, this, what's this
1: really surprises me because I didn't I wouldn't think the lay voter knows these things in mm. the first place. Uh, but it's a 70-30 split. Both ways, right. so the Republicans uh, don't think the trial lawyers should be able to sue, mm-hmm. and there should be a six to nine month. That's what the authors in this article show today. There should be a six to nine month uh, just delay mm-hmm. in all litigation against the uh, the, the virus, mm-hmm. so that uh, you know there's no way to prove exactly where you picked this thing up, mm-hmm. and so the lawsuits are going to be almost frivolous by definition, right? right? Yeah, I accuse you. You you gave it. How do you know you gave it to me? There's no way to prove it, right? right. So that's clear. But litigation, the way it really works is I threaten you. Uh, you say, okay, I'll just pay the bill and settle.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's the, what the trial lawyers are up to. They're going to make tons of money just on the threat of a lawsuit. Right. The business says, I, okay, I, I got, I'm just going to pay out. Mm-hmm. and uh, I, I can't believe our fellow citizens on the other side of the aisle are okay with that. 70 to 30 yeah. is shocking to me uh, when it, it will slow down the economy. If there's a threat, oh, sure. some firms are not going to open up. And it will maintain a high unemployment rate Right. because exactly. the same
0: businesses can't hire you if they're paying out right. lawsuits that's or right. going under, going that's right. up. I want to turn to a final, just kind of a final piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember, first of all, before I do that, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, just another, Minnesota was just a couple, last week, a couple of weeks yep. ago, Wisconsin Supreme Court strikes down state stay-at-home order. Uh, this was on Wednesday. And what was interesting about this is it was the health services secretary. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the governor, yeah. but the health services secretary. Something. And uh, according to the ruling, they in their opinion, it was a vast seizure of power. So this is another example of the fourth branch of government. Yep. Right, being overridden now. That's right, unelected, by the courts, unelected
1: bureaucrats. That's right, making law.
0: Making law. Um, I did want to turn though to the story that's out of Mississippi. Lots of mystery there. We don't know what's going on, but it, it appears as though, um, based on, and this is a USA Today uh, article, actually Associated Press, uh, but it's the first Pentecostal church in Holly Springs, Mississippi, burned down Wednesday morning. Here's the thing: um, there was. Uh, Uh, there was a a graffiti article, or sorry, graffiti, excuse me, uh, message uh, that was there on the lawn, and uh, I'm trying to find where it says, but it basically says that you you best stay home now, you hypocrites, or says bet you stay home now, right. you hypocrites. Because the church was painting. meeting, because the That's church was right. meeting, right? So, so uh, what what do you make of, I mean, is this any kind of indication about this, a further divide in our culture yeah. right now? This is Very in the sure. state of Mississippi, yeah. Bible Belt, right? right? Um, and this obviously looks like religious bigotry, yeah. right? Um, and and uh, an act of violence against uh, religious people. But uh, what do you make of all this?
1: Yeah, well, that court case, uh, that's one in a long series now uh, when the judges read and decide all these contentious issues. But based on the law, right. they, case after case after case seems to be showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge is saying if you want to restrict your First Amendment rights to gather, right. Second Amendment rights, the Third Amendment, you want to st- restrict somebody's God-given mm-hmm. rights, uh, you better do it very narrowly. And you better have good rationale for doing it. You don't throw this huge net over the American people and say, yeah, you're trapped. You're going to do what we say. We're power mongers. And there's a couple governors out there who are just loopy right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the folks are rebelling uh, up in Michigan and some other states, California. Some of the governors and the uh, localities, uh, people are outraged. Mm -hmm. And so uh, all those things are linked. And then the church, right, uh, people taking the law in their own hand, burning down a church. Yeah. Uh, because you don't think they should meet, well, that's not your decision, yeah. right? So that—that's the sovereign again. Is the right? Is, is the people? Yes. And uh, we determine the law, and so you should obey the laws in place because they've been given by the sovereign, right? Which is the people. But the, the people. Uh, are in charge, uh, and and uh, the left doesn't seem to understand that right yeah.
0: now. Yeah. We have uh, several pastor friends associated with the Falkirk Center, and one of our yeah. one of our ministries that we do is not only just to educate, but there are pastors. Uh, I call them the forgotten pastors in America, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. forgotten man. Yep. These pastors are doing g- good work in their communities. Oftentimes, they don't have a big conference platform, you know, social media following. Yep. They're not one of the mega, what I would call, elite, evan- leading evangelical pastors. They're going to be quoted, uh, oftentimes, you know, by national media news, they're just often forgotten. Yep. But uh, Rob McCoy uh, is leading a charge out there in California. He's at Godspeak Calvary Chapel. Um, I we, We've been talking to him. Uh, Eric Metaxas has also gotten involved. But 3,000 yep. churches come together yep. uh, in order to publicly uh, make a statement against uh, Governor Gavin Newsom and saying, hey, enough is enough. This right. is not uh, ladies and gentlemen, day six or seven of quarantine, where we know very, very little about the virus. Yep. We now know a lot about the virus. Right. And this is going on week eight. It's time to do something. Um, and again, going back to the fir- first premise of Romans 13, yep. which we're going to talk about in the second half with Allie Beth Stuckey, yep. who is the sovereign? Uh, who, yep. you know, who is it? The people? Right. Or is it un- unelected bureaucrats? Who is the sovereign in right. this country? No, that's great. So good. that's huge. It's all what the Falkirk Center does, faith and freedom every day. Amen. So uh, Ali Beth Stuckey, right after this. Hey, Ryan Helfenbein with the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty here at the campus of Liberty University. I'm joined this afternoon by someone who needs no introduction. It's Allie Beth Stuckey. Allie, it is so great to see you. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, it is an honor, and uh, I want to say my wife, who is actually listening, she's a huge fan of yours, and uh, we were listening yesterday uh, to a podcast that you did on Romans 13, and I thought this was so crucial for our audience and for others. We exist at the Falkirk Center not just to editorialize and offer our opinion. We really want to exist to educate and to promote the gospel and the scriptures teaching on these issues, and so... I really want to dive into some of these topics. Um, You raised several of them, but give us just a brief background of Romans 13. What's this about?
2: So Romans 13, at least verses 1 through 7, it's about submitting to governing authorities. And when you read it, the text is pretty clear, and seemingly the intent is pretty clear, that we are to submit to governing authorities because the authorities that exist were instituted by God. Hmm. And so in submitting to governing authorities, we are also submitting to God. Uh, the God through Paul says in, in Romans 13, 1 through 7, that uh, these authorities are instituted to exact Uh, justice or to carry out justice on the wrongdoer. Paul makes the argument that if you are uh, not doing anything wrong, then you have nothing to fear. But if you are doing something wrong, then you uh, should fear these governing authorities because they do not bear the sword in vain. So uh, making the argument that we should be as submissive as we possibly can as Christians. And a question that I've gotten a lot, the reason why I did this podcast episode uh, and the question I posed was, are Christians to resist tyranny? I've gotten this question several times over the past few weeks during this whole pandemic with people saying, look, I understand that there is a threat of this virus, but how far do we allow the government to go? Should we still be meeting together in churches? Should I be protesting? At what point can Christians biblically stand up and say, you know what? Uh, the government has pushed too far, and this is inhibiting my ability to share the gospel or to obey God. So that's the question that I tried to tackle in light of Romans 13.
0: Absolutely. And I'll add to that. Peter uh, writes in First Peter chapter 2, very similar, uh, where he talks about praying for those who are in, in power uh, and in authority. Um, I'm thinking of Titus chapter 3 also, where ah. that comes up. Um, but then you also have in the Gospels, uh, Mark chapter 12, John Chapter 19, Jesus, uh, who's talking literally to Pontius Pilate, "My kingdom is not of this world." But he says, "You, there is no authority that exists on this earth that is not first given by God." So here's the question, Allie. Um, you know, I I have a lot of friends, Christian friends, who, when we're talking about, there's a lot of assumptions, presuppositions that we take for granted. I think when we talk about American liberty. A lot of times there is a disconnect. There's kind of a there's a biblical literacy gap, but there's also a literacy gap in terms of of history. People just don't know common history. How did we get here? Um, Are there moments that you can point to historically where people have defied government? I want to talk about the biblical cases first, um, but then also uh, cases in our own history of civics. So what are what are some of those?
2: Yeah. So the cases that we can look at biblically are cases in which people like the the he- Hebrew midwives yes. defy Exodus the- one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Egyptian edict that they had to kill all uh, newborn males, they decided not to do that. Of course, Daniel continued to pray three times a day, even when he was told that he only could pray to King Darius. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, you uh, you also mentioned, or maybe that was in the conversation that we had uh, beforehand that um, the the apostles also they rebelled against government authorities saying, hey, you can't preach the gospel. Yeah. And so obviously there are several biblical examples. I do think it's important to point out and to clarify that always the reason why these followers of God, these people of God defied government authorities was not to be, uh, not to make a point, not to be uh a rabble rouser, not to be a troublemaker for the sake of trouble, but expressly to obey God. And I think that that's an important distinction to make. And when we look throughout history, specifically if we look at the Protestant Reformation, when you had reformers like John Calvin and especially John Knox in Scotland, um, that he uh, fought very fiercely against uh, Mary of Guise and uh, the Catholic Queens of Scotland, uh, to be able to make sure that people weren't oppressed by tyranny, and that he could um, that he could share what he believed was the true gospel. And so there is a history, both biblically through the Reformation. Then you've even got people like uh, William Wilberforce, people yeah. who have fought for the rights of the unborn, pushing back against the government for the express reason of being able to obey and honor God. And I think that is really Uh, an important distinction to make that when we talk about resisting tyranny, we're not talking about anarchy, we're not talking about disrespecting the government because we don't like government. Uh, Christians believe in the importance of the government and the importance of leadership. We simply believe that obedience to God sometimes compels us to do uncomfortable things like question and push back on uh, tyrannical efforts uh, against our our freedom.
0: Yes, amen. I think there's there's, there's something, too, that is within this current evangelical landscape. There's, there's some tribalism. And I want to be careful. I'm not here to pu- throw any punches today. I really just want to have this conversation. But it's really interesting where the same, it seems as though some people who are all about social justice, I am about social justice. I am woke as all get out. Um, and then when it comes to COVID-19, they don't see any injustice with how churches are being treated with this regard, like with, with regard to the CDC. I'm not making an argument about whether we should social distance or not. What I'm, The question I'm asking is, should the government have the right to cancel or compel churches to cancel uh, without giving them the opportunity? So that's the issue. You have certain states that are saying Like, uh, I have a friend of mine, several friends, pastors in Georgia. The Governor Kemp of Georgia asked them, would you? I'm not making an order that you shut down. I'm not, my stay-at-home order is not forcing you. I'm asking, would you? And they said, yes, because you asked us, we will. But if you say you must, I'm compelled as a pastor to say, no, Governor, you cannot do that. And I have to then lead my congregation in a way to demonstrate to them under leadership, what this looks like. And so there are going to be all kinds of varying opinions there. But my question is this. Would the civil rights movement have been so successful if there was not civil disobedience? Would Rosa Parks, uh, would we even know her today if she did not disobey, If if she got up from her seat and surrendered her seat? At some point, you have to recognize that the only way we we're able to defend rights is that there has to be moments where we say no. What What do you right. say to that?
2: Right, and I think you're absolutely right that it's tribalized in how we see justice and how we see justified civil disobedience, and it's because Uh, When you're just talking strictly politically, the, the kind of causes that we care about on either side of the aisle or that some people care about on either side of the aisle, so often they don't cross over. So while you might have people who care about Um, uh, racial injustice exclusively. They might not care about injustice against Christians. And then maybe you have people over here who care about injustice against Christians, but don't care about racial injustice. And that is sometimes how it falls politically. But we as Christians care about uh, every instance of injustice Mm. and every instance of tyranny that seeks to discriminate against a a particular group uh through you know no fault of the group's own in order to basically just exact control and that is what seems to be happening in a lot of these policies that have to do with the church singling out churches and in some cases for example like in new york city singling out jewish communities calling yeah. them out and saying that you can't meet together you can't do these things mm. not citing any science, not citing any reasoning behind it, but just kind of saying, okay, this is the power that we now have and we can control you. And I think you're absolutely right in that it might be smart for these churches and for these pastors to say, you know what, we're only going to meet virtually for X amount of time. This is what we're going to to do to protect our our elderly and vulnerable congregants, whatever it is. But the question is, what happens when they feel like according to the wisdom that they have and the science that they have looked like and the makeup of their own congregation, what happens when they feel that it is prudent and wise and obedient to God to start to meet together again and the governor or a local official is saying, you cannot do that or else we will arrest you. That's the question that Christians wrestle with in yeah. light of Romans 13. What does the pastor do in that situation?
0: Amen. I, I've got friends. I've got a pastor in Bangor, Maine who... Uh, And this is, by the way, this is how you do civil disobedience. So he didn't cower. He didn't say, well, I'm going to kind of disobey, but I'm not going to let anybody know about it. Right. He signaled to the authorities. He wrote a letter. He made an open public statement. And he said, I am compelled by God that I am going to hold these services. We live in an isolated community. Uh, You know, by the way, you can get the the weed dispensaries are open. I, I, you know, I minister to drug addicts and these drug addicts who are hurting right now need to be able to assemble. They need to be able to come to worship. They need to be able to come and get counseling and to be around fellow Christians. They're hurting right now by compelling us to close. You're violating the Constitution, uh, you know, the the prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's in there. Right. Um, and not only that, but you're violating the laws of God. And so, um, so he, he made it very public, I'm going to disobey. So he wasn't hiding behind anything, um, and we'll see how it plays out. There's 3,000 pastors right now in California doing the same thing. It's not at this point an argument for them about uh, what is best. They're not arguing about health. They're saying, sure, yes, absolutely, we're going to protect the vulnerable. We can do both that's the argument they're making.
2: Right, and I think it's important also to remember is that uh, we believe that, so it's this idea, this uh, old idea of Lex Rex, the law is king. So that our government is beholden to the constitution. And so by a church assembling together to worship together, that church is not disobeying the law of the land. That right. church is not disobeying the the law and the document, the constitution that our governing authorities are beholden to. It's actually our governing authorities that are being disobedient to the law of the land. Right. And so- by congregating um, and by protesting, by petitioning the government, uh, whatever it is, people say that this is Christians being rebellious and violating Romans 13, but that's not against the law. Right. It's not against the law to protest. It's not against the law to petition the government. It's not against the law to, to meet together and to pray together and to worship together. It is actually these civil authorities that, like you said, is they're not... Uh, only disobey the Constitution, uh, but also the law of God. So, who is really being more obedient and um, honoring Romans thirteen more? The the citizen who wants to worship together as the Constitution allows and as God ordains, or the uh, the the civil authority who is defying all of the above?
0: Yes. Okay. We've we got have just a few more minutes, Ali. This is perfect. Because um, you, you raise a point, and this is exactly where I want to I wanna go with this. Imagine Romans 13 is talking about a sovereign. There is a sovereign. God is sovereign, and then he appoints for authorities, right? Ruling authorities. But imagine a situation where you are the king. Imagine you are the monarch. How do you read that text, Romans 13, as a king, as a sovereign? What is your responsibility then? And so you look, in those first seven verses talk about exactly how you're supposed to enact just laws, how you are supposed to pursue the evildoer, um, how you are to promote the public welfare. So here's the question. What does a society look like where everyone is king and everyone is a sovereign? I'm not trying to play semantical word games, but just imagine for a second that if the Constitution is really about we the people— Right. We do have sovereign rights. This is different historically, unique historically. Um, We had monarchs before, but the the rights and the powers got transferred from monarchs, a king, literally a king of England, King George III, to a sovereign people who then have a representative form of government. I think there's a situation in which even our friends, our best of friends, reform friends and, and the like who are not reading contextually Romans 13 as its application to a sovereign plurality rather than sovereign individual, where all all power has been vested. Um, what do you say I think to that?
2: A, yeah, I think that's a really good point to make, that the, the country that we live in now and the way that our founders um, set it up, they set it up as a, a government of, like you said, representation of self-ruling individuals, self ruling constituents. Mm. Um, And so when our government violates that role, that is set up. And if we go along with the logic of Romans 13, that governing authorities were set up by God, well, our governing authorities, at least our founding governing authorities, set up a government that is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people, representative of self-ruling constituents. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, When they violate that, when the people who are IN CHARGE, OR I GUESS THE PEOPLE WHO REPRESENT US, uh, TAKE TOO MUCH AUTHORITY, THE QUESTION IS DO WE HAVE THE OBLIGATION TO PUSH BACK AGAINST THAT AND TO ASSERT OUR AUTHORITY AND OUR SOVEREIGNTY, WHICH IS THE WAY THAT IT'S SUPPOSED TO BE. But. I think that's so similar to how ancient Israel also asked for a king, and it's not the same thing. I'm not trying to to draw biblically incorrect parallels, but just as an analogy, how ancient Israel was always asking for a king. They wanted a king, and God was like, you don't want a king. It's going to cause more problems. I think that America— also gotten used to in just an analogous way, has gotten used to the government having more and more power, taking care of us, telling us what to do, to where we've gotten to the point to where our government says, hey, sorry, you can't go to church, you can't meet with your friends, you can't go outside, and you can't play with your kids in the park if you're two feet from each other. And we've just kind of said, yeah, you know, the government has the power to do this, but yeah. it was yeah. never never supposed to be that way. I also want to say, I do think that there is, in the reformed camp, a little bit of like you said a misunderstanding of history but it lends itself in some of the most i think respected reformed people that i really love learning from a, a little bit of animosity towards the founding fathers this idea that america yeah, yeah. was founded on egoism and this america that america was founded strictly on a deism that has lent itself to yeah, what they yeah. would see as um theologically incorrect Christianity. and I just couldn't disagree with that
0: more. I totally agree. I think there is a mischaracterization that started. Um, you go into the you go into these institutions in the in the nineteenth century. Uh, where the Enlightenment project and post-Enlightenment continued, and it was completely deconstruction. And so what's interesting is German liberalism was the first to start with this experiment of, let's just debunk the Bible. The Bible doesn't have authority. Therefore, Christ is now mythologized, and it continues its way. And then you have this growing of the totalitarian state. Somewhere along the way, That slipped into American academics, and even into, unfortunately, in the mid-centuries, a lot of our more conservative evangelical seminaries had to fight these things. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is I think the remnant of that is a kind of cynicism where even even conservative evangelicals are cynical about the start of this country. And one of the things I'm just gonna, Charlie Kirk said something the other day, and I totally agree. We are, uh, you know, when it comes to the universals of of sin, right, America is just like everybody else. But we are unique in our positives, and you have to acknowledge the historic uniqueness of the United States. If you don't want to call it American exceptionalism, fine, but come up with a good term that is a positive term because it is a good thing. And there is no other nation still on the face of the earth that is quite like the United States of America. Um, I want to give you a final word, and I want you to tell us where can we find, you know, for listeners, where to find you, what, what's what's happening next with you as well.
2: Oh, I love what you just said and the reiteration of what Charlie Kirk said, because it's absolutely true, and unfortunately you have, I would say, the majority of young people, at least right now, who believe literally the exact opposite of that, mm. that America is not, doesn't have the commonality of sin with the rest of the world just because we are, you know, it's made up of fallible people just like every other society and that we're unique in our virtues. They think it's the opposite, that we're actually unique in our sin and maybe not even that we have commonality of virtue, but that our virtues are so small, that they're so insignificant that they're not even worth talking about. And that's why I think it's so wonderful that you guys exist, because I know that you aren't just focusing on American exceptionalism, but you are helping educate Christians uh, about the importance of religious liberty and just how wonderfully and uniquely and graciously God has blessed this country, which hasn't been perfect by any means. I don't think any Christian claims that it's been perfect, but by the grace of God and by the genius and willpower of so many strong Americans has been a championing force of not just liberty, but of goodness and virtue throughout the world. So anyway, well, so. I'm just so thankful for your mission and what you guys do. Um, I am, obviously, you guys know I'm Allie Stuckey, so you can find me. I've got a website that's about to launch, AllieBethStuckey.com. I've got a book coming out August 11th called You're Not Enough and That's Okay. Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love goes through five myths that uh, Christian women are unfortunately fed by society at large. Um, and you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can really probably just look up my name and I'll probably come up. But, oh, and my podcast, duh. That's oh, the main thing that relatable. I do, Relatable. Yep. With Ali Stucky. you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay,
0: I'm going to put you on the spot. When that book comes out, I want to have you back on. I want to talk about it. That's wonderful. Perfect. Awesome. I would love Allie Stucky. God bless you. Thank you for all that you That's do. Great. Have a wonderful day.